Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is January 20th, 2019, and I've got a sick kid at home. Uh, it's I woke up to snow. It almost looked fake, the way it was just sitting on my deck in the backyard. And there is, like, so much to talk about. Um, the first thing I'll start off on, something really bizarre is happening with YouTube. And I'd love for all of you to kind of check those of you that are listening live right now. Um, I've opened up my browsers every time I, you know, I'm getting ready to, you know, have a show. I'll have some audio clips usually from YouTube videos for everyone to listen to. For some reason, any video I open, even if it's just basic YouTube, I have the number 17 right before any title. So it's like in the tab. I tweeted out a picture of it because it's bizarre. I don't have 17 tabs open and that's coming up. I just thought I'd uh, let you guys know that um, and see if it's doing that to you too. Uh, obviously, the the computer that I am using uh, when I am on air or writing articles uh, is not uh, the super secure computer I use f- to get with sources and, um, <laughs> you know, do my research. Uh, the one that has like a million windows. So th- this is, this was pretty um, interesting to see this morning. Uh, just like it was listening to Sondland talk. He said something that, you know how sometimes you're just like watching someone talk or hearing them talk because I was listening to him and kind of like just taking in what he was saying and it was kind of like my head jolted back like, wait, wait, what did he say? So we'll talk about that. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, we're going to talk about um, Schiff and Epstein. Uh I had received some information yesterday about Schiff that was pretty interesting late last night. Um, I kind of parsed through, had a couple phone calls with people that I know out in West Hollywood. And, you know, I uh, had the articles run this morning at about 6 a.m. on Loomer.com, especially in regards to Schiff. Um so we're going to talk about that. I also want to touch a bit, just kind of like, you know, cause it's my, it's my spiel, um, of cloning. So I thought we should talk about that too. Uh, I've said it many times, my, um, somatic, um, a nuclear transfer cell, you know, the way you, the process of stripping a cell from its DNA and inserting other DNA is something that I actually learned how to do. And I uh, was lucky enough to work under um, the man that pretty much invented the process that was obviously demonized uh, because, you know, cloning is considered, uh, you know, unethical. Um, you know, who are you? You're not God. And, you know, th- true, it has to be highly regulated. Um, but like I said, uh, we don't really need clones because even when you're, uh, if you're a clone, right, I'm just going to, you know, no, I'll talk about it later because it has, you have to understand that clones have an expiration date too, dependent on the age of the cell that you procure the DNA from. And that has to do with the telomeres and the age. So it's kind of, um, different. And I had a few people, um, well, 
Last week, I had a couple emails uh, asking me about um, Dr. Zavos and, um, you know, it, you know, my thoughts on it. And, and then again, um, last night I received some communication. So I thought maybe I could um, talk about that a little bit because I actually know a lot about it uh, in regards to the science behind it and how it works, because I've actually like done the process myself of stripping um, cells and inserting other DNA. So I thought we could touch on all these things. Uh, but first of all, I just want to say, you know, Millie Weaver put out this video uh, last night from when she was in Kentucky for the rally. And she was asking people, so what do you think? Will you support President Trump if the Democrats impeach him and he's eligible to run in 2020, even though he's been impeached? And everyone was like, they can't impeach him. He didn't do anything. Impeach him for what? Doing his job? Impeach him for what? Because they don't like him? But everyone said, of course. And I, I, I don't think they understand that, too. I think that can actually make history if that ever happened, which it won't, because the chips are falling, they're laying, and it's coming. It's like super coming and they are trying to mitigate in any which way and fashion. Um, I'm working on a piece in regards to some legislation where they buried uh, to revive some clauses that are sunsetting next week. So it'll be very interesting to see uh, which one of your congresspersons will not read the bill. That's the problem that we're having right now. We have people in office that don't read a bill. They simply take the word for whatever their friends say, and that's it. Their legislative directors suck. Or they just kind of all sit down together in a room and say, what are we going to tell them? It says, oh, yeah, we're just going to tell them this. Yeah, okay. So who's doing this? This is how it works. See, it's very important when you're in office who you have around you and how you task them. Because people seem to think, well, the chief of staff is going to be doing the hiring, this, that, that, the legislative director, blah, 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 blah. No, man. You need someone that knows exactly what you stand for. You need someone to parse out the rubbish. And, you know, that's something that I kind of like said, you know, a while back, uh, you know, even to Laura Luma, hey, when you run, because I know you're going to run, you're going to run. She was like, no, uh, I'm telling you now, I've already got dibs on this. Um, I want to do this because this is the biggest problem. Having worked on the Affordable Care Act myself, I realized that people don't read what they put in legislation and the very few that know exactly what's in there are the ones pushing to get it done. Pretty interesting. And now that we need funding, right? They're like talking, yeah, blah, 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 blah. Oh, sunset clause. Let's just change this. Let's just change this. Let's just change this. And you're like, well, what does that have to do with it? Remember, it's kind of like that bill that I told you about securing our vote and the integrity of the vote. And inside the bill, they were talking about guns. And it's like, wait a minute. Wasn't this about voting? Why are you throwing in there about red flag laws and guns that are important? You know, how is that aligning with voting? How are you securing the vote by disarming the public? Oh, you mean you're securing your right to keep fixing the elections that we've blown the, the top off? Uh, <laughs> guys, there is just so much going on. And, and I said that last week. I said this week is going to be moving with so much information and so quickly that we won't know where to start and where to finish. So the one thing we need to know is that... Um, 
this false investigation was opened in a sense of mitigation. Okay. This was done, uh, in order to mitigate what is to come and they can't stop it. So the reason you need to understand the, this whole investigation, as I've said before, this impeachment, this questioning, this, um, bringing witness after witness that didn't witness anything is just to push, right? Push. For them, uh, you know, to give them some air, uh, lift their wings and still feel like, uh, you know, they're, <laughs> they're, you know, still in control. They completely walked into the trap. And that's basically what has happened to them. They're done. Now, I thought I would, um, start with the Ukraine. And, I don't like Glenn Beck and I like his charts though. Sometimes, uh, I do disagree a lot of the connections that he's made on there, like with names and where he put only because I know a lot of things about the Ukraine. It runs deeper than, you know, and I had a, some communications with an editor of a publication and well, like content, whatever editor type. And, you know, we were kicking the bucket around uh, about a month ago. Hey, Tori, can you write something on Volker? Because you know this stuff. And I was like, you know, if I write something about Volker, he won't look good. And so yesterday the person comes back to me and says, you know what, Tori, I'm glad that you didn't put that article out on Volker because he seemed to be good. And I was like, oh, you obviously were not paying attention um, to what was going on. And the only reason that I said, you know, let's hold on it. And I don't think we should write anything is because it would um, more than likely add to the mix. See, there's so much disinformation out there um, that people don't know what to make of it anymore. You know, they're talking, oh, uh, you know, Anthony Eric Saramella. Oh, Vinman. I told you guys Vinman and his twin were key uh, in this. Uh, he even admitted yesterday while being asked questions that he was hired. He, no, he was offered a job by the Ukrainian government. And I told you the same happened. The same thing happened to the NSA, the IG of the NSA was offered a job in the Ukraine, right? He was offered a job in the Ukraine before President Trump reappointed him. That's a very big deal. But, you know, no one's paying attention to those very big deals. They just fly by. So here's where I'm going to start with what Sondland said about Pence and Vinman. He didn't say Vinman, but I'm telling you Vinman. So before we get there, we should listen to what happened with Schiff in regards to the whistleblower. I mean, if he doesn't know who the whistleblower is, which there isn't a whistleblower, it is who is feeding this information then why stop him from, I mean, I've never seen that before. Nope, you're not going to talk. You're not going to reveal the blah, blah, blah. Take a listen. This committee will not be used to out the whistleblower. Um, that same uh, Mr. Chairman, necessity of protecting the stop the time so I don't lose the will time? Will persist. Uh, you are recognized again, Mr. Jordan. Mr. Chairman, I, I don't see how this is outing the whistleblower. 
the, the witness has testified in his deposition that he doesn't know who the whistleblower is. You have said, even though no one believes you, you have said you don't know who the whistleblower is. So how is this outing the whistleblower to, to, to find out who this individual is? Interesting. So now let me find that Sondland clip uh, where they're talking. Bef- and we're going to play this. I'm going to let it percolate. We're going to then play Adam Schiff's in, you know, um, opening statement and then Nunez's opening statement and then go back to this. Um, that way we can hear it for a second time with information that is given to us. The Oval Office, uh, I believe on May 23rd, uh, the request was very generic for an investigation of corruption in a very vanilla sense and uh, dealing with some of the oligarch problems in Ukraine, which were long-standing problems. And then as time went on, uh, more specific items got added to the menu, uh, including the uh, Burisma 2016 election uh, meddling specifically, the DNC service specifically. And over this, over this continuum, uh, it became more and more difficult to secure the White House meeting because more conditions were being placed on the White House meeting. And then, of course, on July 25th, although you were not privy to the call, another condition was added, that being the investigation of the Bidens. I was not privy to the call, and I did not know that uh, the condition of, of investigating the Bidens was a condition. Correct. You saw that. Look at how Schiff, while he questions him, I'm just saying... He keeps saying, oh, the Bidens, the Bidens. And he threw in some words that have Sondland on the record acknowledging is true. Uh, this is very subtle, but I just thought I'd point it out to tell you what to listen to. That on the call record, correct? It was not in any record I received. But when you Yes, I saw that in September, correct. So under, uh, on this continuum, the... Uh, this is very important. On there, the, does it not want to play? Uh, beginning of the continuum begins on May 23rd when the president instructs you to talk to Rudy. Correct. Uh, and you understood that as a direction by the president that you needed to satisfy the concerns that Rudy Giuliani would express to you uh, about what the president wanted in Ukraine. Not to me, to the entire group, Volker, Perry, and myself. Correct. Now, in your opening statement, you confirm that there was a quid pro quo between the White House meeting and the investigations into Burisma and the 2016 election that Giuliani was publicly promoting. Is that right? Correct. And, in fact, you say that other senior officials in the State Department and the Chiefs of Staff's office, including Mick Mulvaney, Secretary Pompeo, were aware of this quid pro quo that in order to get the White House meeting, there were going to have to be these investigations the president wanted. Correct. And those, again, are investigations into 2016 and Burisma slash the Bidens. 2016 Burisma. The Bidens did not come up. But you would ultimately learn that Burisma meant the Bidens when you saw the call record, correct? Of course. Today I know exactly what it means. I didn't know at the time. And then on July 26th, you confirm you did indeed have the conversation with President Trump from a restaurant in Kiev that David Holmes testified about last week. Is that right? Correct. And you have no doubt, no reason to doubt Mr. Holmes' recounting of your conversation with the president? Uh, the only part of Mr. Holmes uh, 
recounting that I take exception with is I do not recall mentioning the Bidens. That did not enter my mind. It was Burisma in 2016 elections. You have no reason to believe that Mr. Holmes would make that up if that's what he recalls you saying? You have no reason to question that, do you? I, I, I don't recall saying Biden. I never recall saying Biden. So here's, here's, here's where we're leading up to, okay? So the day after this phone call, um, he made mention, right, that Sondland, who's the ambassador to the EU, was having a conversation with the president of the United States in a restaurant. Very important. He pointed that out. And that someone that overheard the conversation said Biden's, even though Sondland had already told him the name Biden's didn't even come up to it until like September when all this was going on. Like I didn't know about it. So he's trying to get him on the record because it's what the record states, right? When they move forward, um, he's trying to entrap him to say, yes, it was the Biden's when it was Burisma that he knew, but he did make the statement. Yeah. Well, now I know it's about the Biden's, but back then it was only Burisma. But the rest of uh, Mr. Holmes' uh, recollection is consistent with your own. Well, I can't testify as to what Mr. Holmes might or might not have heard through the phone. I don't know how he heard the conversation. Are you familiar with his testimony? Vaguely, yes. And the only exception you take is to the mention of the name Biden? Correct. And I think you said in your testimony this morning that not only uh, is it correct that the president brought up with you investigations on the phone the day after the July 25th call, but you would have been surprised had he not brought that up. Is that right? Right, because we had been hearing about it from Rudy, and we presumed Rudy was getting it from the president. So it seemed like a logical conclusion. Mr. Holmes also testified that you told him President Trump doesn't care about Ukraine. He only cares about big stuff that relates to him personally. Um, I take it from your comment, uh, you don't dispute that part of the conversation. Well, he made that clear in the May 23rd meeting that he was not particularly fond of Ukraine, and we had a lot of heavy lifting to do to get him to engage. So you don't dispute that part of Mr. Holmes' recollection? No. In August, when you worked with Rudy Giuliani and a top Ukrainian aide to draft a public statement for President Zelensky to issue that includes the announcement of investigations into Burisma, you understood that was required by President Trump before he would grant a White House meeting to President Zelensky? That's correct. And the Ukrainians understood that as well? I believe they did. And you okay, so what he's saying is, oh, so you guys are telling the Ukrainians they have to announce that they're doing these investigations before they're allowed to come to the White House. Uh, yeah, that's called leverage. And it's like, listen, man, if you want to come to the White House, to my house, and I host you, and we discuss, and we see how we can help you, even though I don't really want to, because you guys have allowed corruption to go rampant. You know, you are now being focused on as the nuclear hub, right? You have, you're not very good at your um, inner workings, let alone your external workings. You're going to do that for me because that should happen. It's kind of like other leaders saying, I'm not coming unless you make this statement because, you know, it's all for, uh, you know, my people to know that you recognize me as a leader, blah, blah, blah. That's the way it goes. So take a listen to what he says after this, which is important. You informed Secretary Pompeo about that statement as well. I did. Later in August, you told Secretary Pompeo that President Zelensky would be prepared to tell President Trump that his new justice officials would be able to announce matters of interest to the president, which could break the logjam. When you say 
matters of interest to the president, you mean the investigations that President Trump wanted. Is that right? Correct. Uh, and that involved 2016 and Burisma or the Bidens? 2016 and Burisma. And when you're talking here about breaking the logjam, you're talking about the logjam over the security assistance, correct? I was talking logjam generically because nothing was moving. But that included the security assistance, did it not? Correct. And based on the context of that email, this was not the first time you had discussed these investigations with Secretary Pompeo, was it? No. He was aware of the connections that you were making between the investigations and the White House meeting and security assistance? Yes. Did he ever take issue with you and say, no, that connection is not there or you're wrong? Not that I recall. Now, you mentioned that uh, you also had a conversation with Vice President Pence before his meeting with President Zelensky in Warsaw, and that you raised the concern you had as well that the security assistance was being withheld because of the President's desire to get a commitment from Zelensky to pursue these political investigations. What did you say to the Vice President? I was in a briefing uh, with several people, and I just spoke up and I said, it appears that everything is stalled until this statement gets made, something that words to that effect, uh, and that's what I believe to be the case based on, uh, you know, the work that the three of us had been doing, Volker, Perry, and myself, and the vice president nodded like, you know, he, he heard what I said, and that was pretty much it, as I recall. And you understood that the Ukrainians were going to raise the security assistance with the vice president at this meeting? I didn't know what they were going to raise, but they, they in fact, did raise it, Mr. Chairman. Well, it was public by that point that there was a hold on the security assistance, correct? Yeah, but I, I didn't know what they were going to raise. I didn't get a pre-brief from the Ukrainians. Well, you knew certainly they were concerned about the hold on the security assistance, right? They were concerned, obviously. And you wanted to help prepare the vice president for the meeting by letting him know what you thought was responsible for the hold on the security assistance. That's fair. Do you recall anything else the, president, the vice president said other than nodding his head when you made him aware of this fact? No, I, I don't have a readout of that meeting, so I can't. The president, the vice president, what did he say? Remember anything else? Uh, and it was immediately after this meeting between the vice president and Zelensky that you went to uh, speak with Yermak and you told him similarly that um, in order to release the military assistance, they were going to have to publicly announce these investigations. Yeah, much has been made of that meeting, and it really wasn't a meeting. What happened was everyone got up after the bilateral meeting between President Zelensky and Vice President Pence, and people do what they normally do. They get up, they mill around, they shake hands, and I don't know if I came over to your Mac or he came over to me, but he said, you know, what's going on here? And I said, I don't know. It might all be tied together now. I have no, you know, I have no idea. I was presuming that it was. But it was a very short conversation. Well, in that short conversation, as you would later relay to Mr. Morrison and Ambassador Taylor, uh, you informed Mr. Yermak that they would need to announce these investigations in order to get the aid. Did you not? Well, Mr. Yermak was already working on those investigation or on the uh, statement about the investigations. And you confirmed for him that he needed to get it done if they were going to get the military aid? I likely did. Mr. Morrison and Ambassador Taylor have also related a conversation you had with the President following the Warsaw meeting in which the President relayed to you uh, that there was no quid pro quo, but nevertheless, unless Zelensky went to the mic uh, and announced these investigations, they would be a stalemate over the aid. Is that correct? That's correct. And that was an accurate reflection of your discussion with the president? 
Well, that email was not artfully written, I'm the first to admit. What I was trying to convey to Ambassador Taylor after his frantic emails to me and to others about the security assistance, which, by the way, I agreed with him. I thought it was a very bad idea to hold that money. I finally called the president. I believe it was on the 9th of September. I can't find the records, and they won't provide them to me. But I believe I just asked him an open-ended question, Mr. Chairman. What do you want from Ukraine? I keep hearing all these different ideas and theories and this and that. What do you want? That conversation is key. I'll see you all in just a bit. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tory. So we left it off with that very important piece of information that I'm just going to replay because, you know, I thought I timed it perfectly. Obviously, I didn't. Of what Sondland was saying about a phone call. Take a listen. And based on the context of that email, this was not the first time you had discussed these investigations with Secretary Pompeo, was it? No. He was aware of the connections that you were making between the investigations and the White House meeting and security assistance? Yes. Did he ever take issue with you and say, no, that connection is not there or you're wrong? Not that I recall. You mentioned that uh, you also had a conversation with Vice President Pence before his meeting with President Zelensky in Warsaw and that you raised the concern you had as well that the security assistance was being withheld because of the president's desire to get a commitment from Zelensky to pursue these political investigations. What did you say to the vice president? Okay, this is important. This answer is what ticked my head before he started talking about the September 9th call. Take a listen. I was in a briefing uh, with several people, and I just spoke up, and I said it appears that everything is stalled until this statement gets made, something that words to that effect, uh, and that's what I believe to be the case based on, uh, you know, the work that the three of us had been doing, Volker, Perry, and myself, and the vice president nodded like, you know, he, he heard what I said, and that was pretty much it, as I recall. And you understood that the Ukrainians were going to raise the security assistance with the vice president at this meeting? I didn't know what they were going to raise, but they, they in fact, did raise it, Mr. Chairman. Well, it was public by that point that there was a hold on the security assistance, correct? Yeah, but I I didn't know what they were going to raise. I didn't get a pre-brief from the Ukrainians. Well, you knew certainly they were concerned about the hold on the security assistance, right? They were concerned, obviously. And you wanted to help prepare the vice president for the meeting by letting him know what you thought was responsible for the hold on the security assistance. That's fair. Do you recall anything else the, president, the vice president said other than nodding his head when you made him aware of this fact? No, I, I don't have a readout of that meeting, so I can't remember anything else. Uh, and it was immediately after this meeting between the vice president and Zelensky that you went to uh, speak with Yermak, and you told him similarly that um, in order to release the military assistance, they were going to have to publicly announce these investigations. Yeah, much has been made. Of- Do you know who else was in Warsaw then? Yeah. It was Vinman. Pay attention. That meeting, and it really wasn't a meeting. What happened was everyone got up after the bilateral meeting between President Zelensky and Vice President Pence, and people do what they normally do. They get up, they mill around, they shake hands, 
and I don't know if I came over to your Mac or he came over to me, but he said, you know, what's going on here? And I said, I don't know. It might all be tied together now. I have no, you know, I have no idea. I was presuming that it was, but it was a very short conversation. Well, in that short conversation, as you would later relay to Mr. Morrison and Ambassador Taylor, uh, you informed Mr. Yermak that they would need to invest, announce these investigations in order to get the aid, did you not? Well, Mr. Yermak was already working on those investigation or on the uh, statement about the investigations. And you confirmed for him that he needed to get it done if they were going to get the military aid? I likely did. Mr. Morrison and Ambassador Taylor have also related a conversation you had with the President following the Warsaw meeting in which the President relayed to you uh, that there was no quid pro quo, but nevertheless, unless Zelensky went to the mic uh, and announced these investigations, there would be a stalemate over the aid. Is that correct? That's correct. And that was an accurate reflection of your discussion with the President? Well, that email was not artfully written. I'm the first to admit what I was trying to convey to Ambassador Taylor after his frantic emails to me and to others about the security assistance, which, by the way, I agreed with him. I thought it was a very bad idea to hold that money. I finally called the president. I believe it was on the 9th of September. I can't find the records and they won't provide them to me. But I believe I just asked him an open-ended question, Mr. Chairman. What do you want from Ukraine? I keep what do you hearing want? all these different what do you want? ideas and theories and this and that. What do you want? And it was a very short, abrupt conversation. He was not in a good mood. Mm -hmm. And he just said, I want nothing. I want nothing. I want no quid pro quo. Tell Zelensky to do the right thing. Something to that effect. So I typed out a text to Ambassador Taylor and my reason for telling. Okay. Did you guys hear that? So that's really important because that's going to come into focus soon. And here's where you know that even these hearings are set up. Listen to Adam Schiff's opening statement now. President of the United States. This morning we will hear from Gordon Sondland, the American ambassador to the European Union. We are here today as part of the House of Representatives impeachment inquiry because President Donald Trump sought to condition military aid to Ukraine in an Oval Office meeting with the new Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky in exchange for politically motivated investigations that Trump believed would help his reelection campaign. The first investigation was of a discredited conspiracy theory that Ukraine, not Russia, was responsible for interfering in the 2016 election. The second investigation that Trump demanded into, was into a political rival that he apparently feared most, Joe Biden. Trump sought to weaken Biden and to refute the fact that his own election campaign in 2016 had been helped by a Russian hacking and dumping operation and Russian social media campaign directed by Vladimir Putin to help Trump. Dude, that is like so fake. That is fake. We already know this is fake. He's saying that Putin helped to get President Trump elected. Trump's scheme undermined military and diplomatic support for a key ally and undercut U.S. anti-corruption efforts in Ukraine. Trump put his personal and political interests above those of the United States. As Ambassador Sondland would later tell career Foreign Service officer David Holmes immediately after speaking to the president, Trump did not give a expletive about Ukraine. He cares about big stuff that benefits him, like the Biden investigations that Rudy Giuliani was pushing. 
Ambassador Salman was a skilled dealmaker, but in trying to satisfy a directive from the president, found himself increasingly embroiled in an effort to press the new Ukrainian president that deviated sharply from the norm in both terms of policy and process. But getting someone fired, um, you know, to protect their son is not deviating from the norm that Biden did on TV that we caught. But okay, now let's listen to Nunes. Learned last night. Story time last night. We get story time first thing this morning. Ambassador Sondland, welcome. Glad you're here. I'm really not glad you're here, but... Welcome to the fifth day of this circus. As I've noticed, noticed, noted before, the Democrats on this committee spent three years accusing President Trump of being a Russian agent. In March 2018, after a year-long investigation, Intelligence Committee Republicans issued a 240-page report describing in detail how the Russians meddled in the 2016 elections and making specific recommendations to improve our election security. Denouncing the report as a whitewash and accusing Republicans of subverting the investigation, the Democrats issued their own report, focusing on their now debunked conspiracy theory that the Trump campaign colluded with Russia to hack the elections. Notably, the Democrats vowed at the time to present a further, quote, comprehensive report, unquote, after they finished their investigation into Trump's treasonous collusion with Russia. For some completely inexplicable reason, after the implosion of their Russia hoax, the Democrats failed to issue that comprehensive report. We're still waiting. This episode shows how the Democrats have exploited the Intelligence Committee for political purposes for three years, culminating in these impeachment hearings and their mania to attack the president No conspiracy theory is too outlandish for the Democrats. Time and time again, they floated the possibility of some far-fetched malfeasance by Trump, declared the dire need to investigate it, and then suddenly dropped the issue and moved on to their next asinine theory. Oh, wow. Honestly searching for the truth. They are the actions of partisan extremists who hijacked the Intelligence Committee, transformed it into the Impeachment Committee, abandoned its core oversight functions, and turned it into a beachhead for ousting an elected president from office. You have to keep that history in mind as you consider the demagogue of supposed Trump outrages. Granted, a friendly call with the Ukrainian president wouldn't seem to rise to the same level as being a Russian agent, But the Democrats were running out of time. If they waited any longer, their impeachment circus would intervene with their own candidates' 2020 campaigns. So you have to give them points for creativity in selling this absurdity as an impeachable offense. All this explains why the Democrats have gathered zero Republican support in the House of Representatives for their impeachment crusade. In fact, the vote we held was a bipartisan vote against this impeachment inquiry. Speaker Pelosi, Chairman Schiff, and Chairman Nadler, the key figures behind this impeachment crusade, all proclaimed that impeachment is so damaging to the country that it can only proceed with bipartisan support. 
Are those declarations suddenly no longer true? Did impeachment become less divisive? Of course not. They know exactly what kind of damage they're inflicting on this nation. But they've passed the point of no return. After three years of preparation work, much of it spearheaded by the Democrats on this committee, using all the tools of Congress to accuse, investigate, indict, and smear the president, they stoked a frenzy amongst their most fanatical supporters that they can no longer control. Ambassador Sondland, you are here today to be smeared. But you'll make it through it. And I appreciate your service to this country, and I'm sorry that you've had to go through this. In closing, the Democrats have zeroed in on an anonymous whistleblower complaint that was cooked up in cooperation with the Democrats on this very committee. They lied to the American people about that cooperation and refused to let us question the whistleblower to discover the truth. Meanwhile, the Democrats lash out against anyone who questions or casts doubt on this spectacle. When Ukrainian President Zelensky denies anything improper happened on the phone call, the Democrats say that he's a liar. When journalists report on Ukraine election meddling and Hunter Biden's position on the board of corrupt Ukrainian companies, the Democrats label them conspiracy theorists. When the Democrats can't get any traction for their allegations of quid pro quo, they move the goalposts and accuse the president of extortion, then bribery, and at last resort, obstruction of justice. The American people sent us to Washington to solve problems, not to wage scorched earth political warfare against the other party. This impeachment is not helping the American people. It's not a legitimate use of taxpayer dollars, and it's definitely not improving our national security. Finally, the Democrats' fake outrage that President Trump used his own channel to communicate with Ukraine. I'll remind my friends on the other side of the aisle that our first president, George Washington, directed his own diplomatic channels to secure a treaty with Great Britain. If my Democratic colleagues were around in 1794... They would have impeached him. That's so true. Now, from what I gather is, I was kind of disconnected. So I thought I would just play something that was, you know, a really big deal that Schiff said that I was commenting when I was disconnected. And by the way... My own recording on my end um, didn't record it either, but take a listen. Theory that Ukraine, not Russia, was responsible for interfering in the 2016 election. The second investigation that Trump demanded into was into a political rival that he apparently feared most, Joe Biden. Okay, wow. So when Nunes was talking, uh, you know, in the beginning, he was uh, introducing this circus that's going on. But what you have to understand is they are trying to entrap words, um, documented words that Sondland 
would say, and he did say. So I'm going to play this part now. I just want you guys to remember that clip that I just played, and I want you to listen to what he says and agrees with without really paying attention. And that he should want to. Uh, Similarly, you told Ambassador Taylor that while the president said no quid pro quo, unless Zelensky announced these investigations, they would be at a stalemate, presumably a stalemate over the military assistance. Do you have any reason to question those conversations that Mr. Morrison and Ambassador Taylor took notes about? Well, I think it's tied to my text, Mr. Chairman, because in my text, I think I said something to the effect that um, he wants Zelensky to do what he ran on, I believe, is transparency, et cetera, et cetera, which was my clumsy way of saying he wanted he wanted these announcements to be made. Again, Ambassador, I'm not asking about your text message. I'm asking about what you relayed to Ambassador Taylor and Mr. Morrison about your conversation with the president. Do you have any reason to question their recollection of what you told them? All I can say is that uh, I expressed what I told or what the president told me in that text. And if I had relayed anything other than what was in that text, I don't recall. You don't recall? I don't recall. You have no reason to question Ambassador Taylor or Mr. Morrison of what they wrote in their notes about your conversation with them. Could you kindly repeat what they wrote? I'll have Mr. Goldman go through that with you. That'd be great. But let me get to the very the top line here, Ambassador Sondland. Okay. You've testified that the White House meeting that President Zelensky desperately wanted, and that was very important to President Zelensky, was it not? Absolutely. You've testified that that meeting was conditioned, was a quid pro quo for what the president wanted, these two investigations. Is that right? Correct. And that everybody knew it? Correct. Now, that White House meeting was going to be an official meeting between the two presidents, correct? Presumably. It would be an Oval Office meeting, hopefully? A working meeting, yes. Working meeting. So an official act, correct? And in order to perform that official act... Donald Trump wanted these two investigations that would help his reelection campaign, correct? I can't characterize why he wanted them. All I can tell you is this is what we heard from Mr. Giuliani. But he had, he had to get those two investigations if that official act was going to take place, correct? He had to announce the investigations. He didn't actually have to do them as I understood it. Okay. President Zelensky had to announce the two investigations the president wanted, make a public announcement, correct? Correct. And those were of great value to the president. He was quite insistent upon them, and his attorney was insistent upon them. I don't want to characterize whether they are value or not value. Again, through Mr. Giuliani, we were led to believe that that's what he wanted. Well, and you and you have to remember whatever Giuliani like would say is clearly just you know his opinion um, or what he believes. It's not fact. So here we have witnesses that haven't witnessed anything. Uh, here we have witnesses that heard it but don't know where they heard it from, or they kind of heard it, heard it, or they think or they don't recall. And then they're tying in Rudy Giuliani. This is so much fun to watch. As oh yeah, it's opinion. Like, even to the point, you know, there's a strategy. 
So when you're asking questions to someone, uh, you have to be very careful because sometimes if you ask them too many times, you lose the narrative you want to put out there. You said that Mr. Giuliani was acting at the president's demand, correct? Right. When the president says, talk to my personal lawyer, Mr. Giuliani, we followed his direction. And so that official act of that meeting was being conditioned on the performance of these things the president wanted as expressed both directly and through his lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, correct? As expressed through Rudy Giuliani, correct. And you've also testified that your understanding, it became your clear understanding, that the military assistance was also being withheld pending Zelensky announcing these investigations, correct? That was my presumption, my personal presumption, based on the facts at the time. Nothing was moving. Okay, so what you're seeing right now is Adam Schiff shooting himself in the foot because right now he is asking way too many questions, trying to catch him in, you know, some kind of word knot, and he's failing because now the more questions he asks, the more his questions don't have weight. You know, if you're kind of questioning a target and you want to get something on a written statement because you don't really care what the context is. You just want to trap them because when you have it on a written statement, then you can put forward for, you know, um, pen registers. Uh, you can put forward for um, to move on this way and that way. And that's like a dirty trick you are taught um, because you're not really interested in getting to the truth, you're interested in getting what you want to do what you want. Like if you want a search warrant, right, you're going to sit there and you're going to constantly ask, 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 but and, until you get them to say it. But when you examine your target or whoever you're talking to with too many questions, it boomerangs back to you. And at that point, it is evident what you are doing. Now, let's take a listen to how Goldman does the same thing. This stupid, this guy is supposed to be the lawyer for the Democrats, which is like such an embarrassing title to have, by the way. That was my belief, Mr. Goldman. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. In your opening statement, Ambassador Sondland, you, you detailed um, the benefits that you have gained from obtaining some additional documents over the past few weeks. Is that right? Let me just tell you, Goldman looks like the type of person that has people in his basement. Uh, he's got like the hair kind of combed to the side, uh, has a very square positioning. Um, but listen to how he's going to push this question statement and the response he gets. Right. Uh, in terms of refreshing my recollection. That's right, because review, reviewing these documents uh, has helped you to remember the events that we're asking about. Is that correct? Correct. Um, because you acknowledge, of course, that when you can place a document and a date and a context, it helps to jog your memory. That's correct. Um, and so you would agree that for people... And when you place a document time and place, it doesn't only jog your memory, it skews it. Right. It fills in the blanks that you don't remember. And then you just take that as fact. Let's just get that straight out there. Like yourself who take notes that that is very helpful to their own recollection of events. Right. I, I think you asked your question backwards. Are you saying people that take notes, it's helpful to have those documents or people that don't take notes, it's helpful to have those documents? No, no. <laughs> 
You are not a note-taker, right? I'm not a note-taker, never have been. But you would agree that people who do take contemporaneous notes uh, generally can, are, are more able to remember things than people who don't. Some, yes. And like, like Schiff, right, and his manufactured 302s, and like Comey, who wrote all these memos, right? There are additional documents that you've been unable to obtain. Is that right? That's correct. And I think you even said in your opening statement that the State Department prevented you and your staff from trying to gather more documents. Is that correct? Certain documents, yes. Which documents? Documents that I didn't have immediate access to. And who at the State Department prevented you from doing that? Uh, you'll have to ask my counsel. He was dealing with them. But certainly based on the... Uh, additional memory that you have gained over the past few weeks from reading the testimony of others based on their notes and reviewing your own documents, you have remembered a lot more than you did when you were deposed. Is that right? That's correct. So now he remembers more now that they refreshed his memory. You get that? That's basically what he's saying. Let's see how fast they're going to come for that September 9th. Real news. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tory. Always here Monday through Friday, 12 to 2 Eastern, only on Red State Talk Radio. So the first hour, we just went over like a few tidbits in regards to the testimony, right, of today. And what it tells you is, is that this is the honey trap that Schiff bit into completely, completely. And just so you guys can see weaponized media, I direct you to an article that Politico just put out. What did Pompeo know and when did he know it? And in this article, they claim that Pompeo has tried to keep himself out of the loop. He's trying to be sneaky. How dare he? And the, the, their tweet that I'm going to retweet, uh, with the word propaganda is Mike Pompeo has tried to stay out of the impeachment spotlight, but his role in the Ukraine drug deal is coming into focus as more witnesses come forward. Ah, so now it's a drug deal. So. Let's take a listen, a visit to yesterday. Three-minute clip. Boom. Vinman, Jordan, and Schiff. Take a listen. You never leaked information? I never did, never would. That is, uh, that is preposterous that I would do that. Okay. Uh, Colonel, it's, uh, it's interesting. We deposed a lot of people in the bunker in the basement of the Capitol <clears throat> over the last several weeks. But uh, of all those depositions, only three of the individuals we deposed were actually on the now – Somewhat famous July 25th phone call between President Trump and President Zelensky. There was you, the individual sitting beside you, Miss Williams. And then there were, of course, was your boss, Mr. Morrison, who I just read from his, his deposition. When we asked Miss Williams who she spoke to after the call about the call, she was willing to answer our questions, and chairmanship allowed her to answer our questions. When we asked Mr. Morrison who he spoke to after the call about the call, he was willing to answer our question, and Mr. Schiff allowed, Chairman Schiff allowed him to answer our question. But when we ask you, you first told us three individuals at the NSC, your brother and the two lawyers. 
And then you said there was a group of other people you communicated with, but you would only give us one individual in that group, Secretary Kent. And the chairman would only allow you to give us that name. When we ask you who else you communicated with, you would not tell us. So I want to know first how many other people are in that group of people you communicated with outside the four individuals I just named. Yes, uh, Mr. Jordan, on uh, call readout, certainly after the first call, there were probably a half a dozen or more people that I re uh, re read out. Those are people with the, the proper clearance and the, the need to know. In this case, because of the sensitivity of the call and Mr. Eisenberg told me not to speak to anybody else, I only read out outside of the NSC two individuals. Two individuals. Das Kent and one other uh, person. And you're not willing to tell us who that other individual is? Mr. I, Chairman, I, point I, of order. Mr. Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman, point of order. The gentleman suspend. Counsel. Uh, Mr. Chairman, uh, I would ask you to enforce the, uh, the rule with regard to the disclosure, with regard to the uh, intelligence office. Uh, thank you, Counsel. You know, as I indicated before, this committee will not be used to out the whistleblower. Um, that same uh, Mr. Chairman, necessity of protecting the whistleblower the time so I don't lose the will time. persist. Uh, you are recognized again, Mr. Jordan. Mr. Chairman, I don't see how this is outing the whistleblower. The, the witness has testified in his deposition that he doesn't know who the whistleblower is. You have said, even though no one believes you, you have said you don't know who the whistleblower is. So how is this outing the whistleblower to, to, to find out who this individual is? Jordan, uh, this is your time for questioning. You can use it any way you like, but what? your question should be addressed to the and witness. I'd like to. And your question should not. Did you get that? So they stopped him from naming the second individual. So you spoke with Kent and somebody else. Okay, so tell us who that somebody is. Well, you need to, like, talk about, you know, the whistleblower thing. And, yeah, whistle. Well, wait, hold on a second. How do you know the name he's going to drop is the alleged whistleblower if, you know, it, you don't know the whistleblower and Vinman said he didn't know the whistleblower. So how do you know that that's the whistleblower. And here's the thing. It's not Zaid who is the lawyer supposedly for the whistleblower. Okay. It's not. It is Vinman's counsel that is saying, hey, yo, 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 um, stop. Whistleblower. Wait a minute. Are you saying that his Vinman's lawyer knows the supposed whistleblower? Because this is going to get fun. This is going to get a lot of fun. This is so much fun. Watch. Should not be addressed to trying to out the whistleblower. Well, okay, okay. Uh, Colonel Vindman, there's another thing Mr. Morrison told us in his deposition. He said he was not concerned about the call itself. He said there was nothing illegal or improper on the call, but he was concerned about the call leaking, the contents of the call leaking. He, he said this. He was concerned how it would play out in Washington's polarized environment, how the contents would be used in Washington's political process. Excuse Mr. Me. Morrison was right. Excuse me, Mr. Jordan. Could I get a page? Page 44. Thank Mr. You. Morrison was right. The call leaks. The whistleblower goes to Chairman Schiff, staff. Then he runs off to the lawyer, the same lawyer who said in January of 2017 the coup has started against President Trump. The one thing the Democrats didn't, one thing they didn't count on, one thing they didn't count on was the president releasing the call transcript. And letting us all see what he said. They didn't count on that. Transcript shows no linkage. The two individuals on the call have both said no pressure, no pushing, no linkage, but security assistance dollars to an investigation. Ha. Huh. So the only thing you need to do is take a look at Vinman's face and it tells you everything.
Now, I'm going to tell you what's going on in the Ukraine quickly. I ran an article uh, that was pretty uh, well-detailed and talked about what a busy weekend uh, the Ukraine had. So in the Ukraine this weekend, they arrested a um, ISIS leader, al-Bashar Shishani, who is uh, a Shishani. There's so many. There's Abu Omar al-Shishani. There's Takrin al-Tahid al-Shishani. There's just so many of them. And what was bizarre is that during this press conference, uh, someone brought up uh, a name that, you know, I found odd. I was thinking, well, first of all, Abu Omar al-Shishani, and there's cables of this on WikiLeaks, WikiLeaks, was proclaimed dead in northeastern Syria, and the cable was like, is he though, right? Um, because at the time, he, he was fighting the, he was part of the Chechen fighters. You know how I have told you that bin Laden was trained and hired to motivate the Russian jihad and had like Chechens and Georgians and they were just like going at it with the USSR and he um, gave that jihadi essence to that. Well, this guy, Abu Omar, um, had united with Al-Qaeda's front, the, the Nusra front, um, back in the day, creating one of the biggest joined organized groups called the Army of Emigrants. Okay? So, um, Al-Bar Shishani, who is that? Well, what we hear, his actual name is Guram Gumshavili, um, that Georgia had actually claimed was killed in a bloody clash uh, between ISIS and Syrian uh, Kurdish forces in northeastern Syria. And what's weird is, is that this ISIS raid that was conducted in Georgia in 2017, his name was brought up again. And so it was like really bizarre. So did he die in 2014? Did he, was he, did he die in 2017? And here's the thing. What I found out was that in Georgia, when they did this ISIS raid, it was like in this apartment building that had like a lot of, it was like nine, 10 stories high. And so they went in there. One guy blew himself up. I wonder, like, did the other apartment survive? Like, that seemed really weird. And then the other guy was killed. And then two others were there. Nobody tells us who these two others are or where they are. Right. So what happens is um, they say that um, Abu Omar's right hand man, which is a guy whose original name was Ahmed Shatayev, um, was uh killed there because he was actually missing a right arm. So, you know, through DNA testing, they said that they determined that it was him. And, uh, one thing that happened in the Ukraine is, is that the guy that they arrested was in possession of a Georgian and a Russian passport, but as well as a fake passport. And it's deemed to either be, um, uh, American or Turkish because the Ukrainian secret service actually refused to identify the country of origin of this passport. So now we have ISIS hanging out or going into the Ukraine or possibly being in the Ukraine. So what's important for us to do at this point is kind of turn back the clock and go back to 2017 and kind of revisit what Georgia State Security Service said there, because this is where things get a little bit weird. 
Um, and I published this article, like I said, on Lumerd. Um, it says, as a result of investigative and forensic activities, including DNA tests and fingerprint analysis carried out with the assistance of American colleagues, it was established that one of the killed individuals is Ahmed Chatayev, which supposedly the one-armed dude had died somewhere else, but he was there. Here's the more curious part. The actual residents of, oh, it was a nine-story apartment um, building. They actually were talking to the local media and those people that were presumed to be Chechens, right, because they were part of that Al-Qaeda News World Front, the Chechen kind of group, uh, told the media that they didn't speak Georgian. And that's really weird because Russian-born Ahmed Chetayev and Guram Gunshemveli, who were deputies, um, who were like the deputies for Abu Omar Shishani, who was Georgian, they all spoke fluent Georgian. So it was like super bizarre. So how do they not speak Georgian? They all speak Georgian and they were deputies to a guy who was Georgian. I'm just saying. So it was really bizarre. But the most bizarre one was that the Georgian security service, this guy named Neo Giorgio Biani, he said, we know that the U.S. State Department, um, we know that the U.S. State Department that helps promote democracy through the U.S. aid program paid the rent of the apartment that these Chechens lived in. We have communicated with our American colleagues to clarify why the apartment rent was paid by an individual named Yovanovitch for almost 10 years lease prepaid in 2009 from the U.S. consulate in Armenia. And that was through the Georgian press conference on November 22nd, 2017. And I'm like, shut up. And I did a little bit of digging. We all know that Yovanovitch was the ambassador. But can we put her in Georgia at the time of this lease being prepaid, uh, which was in the summer of 2009. And lo and behold, here we go with a cable, June 16th, uh, p- placing her in Georgia, um, you know, <laughs> meeting with the Armenian bishop to discuss the challenges for ethnic Armenians. I kid you not. That is bizarre, right? So Yovanovitch was in Georgia when the ISIS apartment lease in Georgia was prepaid for 10 years, right? So then here's, here's what else happens. Um, the, the rental being paid by the U S consulate in Armenia also, um, you know, the guy that said that also dispelled all statements and claimed that Guram Gumshavali, uh, Abu Omar's al-Shashini's deputies was killed on November 22nd ISIS raid when they said that he was. So why would be, so, so when they said that they were, right, that they, that he was. So the question is, um, why would people be asking about Guram in 2017 if he was killed in 2014, right? So this is where it gets even more bizarre. This ISIS leader in the Ukraine was actually captured with people from this company called Bogdan Motor Company. And so he had a Bogdan truck or bus that he was on with people and a representative of the company, I think. If, if, it, th- this is what my sort, this is unconfirmed that, that, that there was representatives of that company. Now, parallel to that, look, as they're getting this guy, the, um, Head of Ukremingbek, um, Alexander, Ale- uh, Alexander, uh, Krichenko was like walking along with a child and then suddenly he gets kidnapped. Like this black, you know, little bus thing comes up like 
on the road on the side while he's walking with this child and nab him. And the car was identified to be that of Bogdan Motors. And it was like, you know, because they're like the preferred choice for governments, right? Even the U.S. Embassy in Kiev has an agreement to have them because they have like armored like cars. Now, that's pretty interesting. So the same kind of car that Bogdan Motors manufactures for the government kind of kidnapped him. So the family's like freaking out, right? They're like, oh, my gosh, you know, uh, um, he's been kidnapped. What's going on? Right. And, you know, here's the thing. Uh, this bank, right, is actually the people that hold the evidence that this company Bogdan Motors, right, is money laundering. And it's like doing all this nefarious stuff. Now I'm going to tell you something I haven't even put in writing yet. And this is totally breaking. Pelosi, Kerry, Biden, Obama, you name it, all connected to Bogdan Motors. Remember USAID, oh, we need the money, we need the money. Why are they suddenly broke? Why are they suddenly desperate for cash? Why were they procured by the Ukrainian government in a private contract to start building tanks and stuff? Weren't we supposed to help them with armored vehicles and, you know, anti-tank, anti-tank missiles and all this stuff? Here's where it gets, nobody's talking about Bogdan Motors. So now this bank head has been kidnapped, which as I was speaking with my sources in the Ukraine, and keep in mind, I'm going to repeat this again. I've told you before that Russia, Greece, the Ukraine, and a lot of these Eastern um, European nations, when they have meetings, what is one thing you see in common that all these people have in that meeting? A bishop. So they are very close tied with their church. Now, Considering that the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, Christian, is actually under attack by the European Union because they want to remove religion from the Ukraine. They are the best source anyone can have. They are calling what is going on, and I quote, what is happening to our nation that should have been liberation is enslavement by an, by very evil entities. Oh, bizarre, huh? Well, as the day went on on Saturday, suddenly, okay, um, I find, you know, that Bogdan Motors was getting investments from these shell companies that are linked to Alexander Kwasniewski, Alan Apter, Devin Archer, Hunter Biden, who, by the way, all four of them joined Burisma together on May 12, 2014. So these shell companies invested in research and development projects to develop military vehicles with sufficient armor for crew and passenger protections, among other things. <laughs> you hear this military industrial complex. I wonder where Amy Klobuchar is. She's been really quiet lately, right? So the government, after getting so much pressure, right, uh, started to kind of put out on Saturday, okay, we're going to have press conference. We're going to talk about it, et cetera, right? And at that point, while I was waiting for this press conference, it turns out that Bogdan Motors' new venture in 2014 is directly linked to the Obama White House and Paul Pelosi Jr., Mitt Romney, and Kerry. Because the investment that they got 
was in response to the alleged Kremlin-launched military aggression against the Ukraine in 2014. Are you getting this? And at that time, only private sector investments were incentivized by the Ukrainian government to satisfy the needs for the Ukrainian military. So the Ukrainian government said, we need these vehicles, we need to create this, we need weapons, we need to do this, but only private companies are doing it. And it's like, hmm. And they had foreign investors investing in these companies. Are you getting it? So at that point, as discussions are coming out, um, you know, in regards to the car that was stolen and people were starting to dig in, the uh, Ukrainian um, Secret Service um, actually, you know, came out and said that, you know, the prosecutor general was responsible for the detention detention of Grichenko by Ukrainian security service. And that makes it even more bizarre. So as people are starting to ask questions about this car and that the car was part of a fleet and the fleet seemed to be non-Ukrainian, but government, are you listening? Non-Ukrainian government from people's like CCTV dash cams because they have, you know, dash cams and stuff like that. Um, and they were doing the digging because the police were like, yeah, we're looking into it kind of thing. And a lot of people were really concerned that this guy was kidnapped. Uh, suddenly a statement comes out um, by the Ukrainian C- security services. People are like, wait a minute, what country owns this truck? It's not owned by the Ukraine, but they do do it for other foreign nations. And so they started digging. Obviously, from what I hear from my sources um, yesterday, they've determined to it to be a European nation's car. Um, and uh, judging from the numbers that they were privy to, because now they're not even allowed to look it up anymore, like the fleets are on lockdown, turns out... <laughs> It is bizarre. It's like, it turns out it might be owned by the United Kingdom, okay? So it's like, mm, so why is the Crown kidnapping the head of a bank that has been funding um, and loaning money and moving money for the shell companies that have been investing in Bogdan Motors and they are being supposedly investigated for lending money to Bogdan Motors for money laundering? And here's the thing. They came out and clearly said, right? There was no abduction of the U. Crimson Bank G- JSC board members. He members, z- 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 right? So uh, obviously the other guys were kidnapped too. He was detained by the security service of Ukraine on behalf of the prosecutor general of Ukraine within the criminal proceedings on the grounds of committing crimes under part one of article 255, creation of criminal organization, Part 5 of Article 191, Assignment, Embezzlement of Property or Taking It by Abuse of Official Position. Part 3 of Article 209, Legislation of Laundering of Proceeds of Crime. So here's the thing that's bizarre. They announced that they detained all the members, all the board members. None of the other guys were kidnapped. The, uh, you know, people came to their house and spoke to them and took them. And it just so happened that when they actually went to this guy's house, Grichenko, he was out for a walk with a child. So if they didn't abduct him, but now they had him, who abducted him and what, did they abduct him back? Or like what happened? So this is like something out of a movie. This is something you would grab a big bucket of popcorn and, you know, that gallon soda where you sit in the movie theater and overpay for stuff and, you know, start like munching on popcorn to watch this movie play out. 
And it just so happens that while all of this was going on, you know, nobody was talking about it. Everyone was focused on this clown show, which is very interesting. Extremely interesting, if you ask me. So that is the concern here that we have, is that all of this is going on and no one is paying attention to you. What is going on? I want you to listen to this more extended clip again with all that in your mind of what Jordan said to Vinman. I want you to listen to it again. Colonel, uh, I want to thank you um, for your service and sacrifice to our great country. Uh, this afternoon, your, your former boss, Mr. Morrison, is going to be sitting right where you're sitting, and he's going to testify. And I want to give you a chance. Uh, I think we're bringing you a copy. Uh, I want to give you a chance to respond to some of the things Mr. Morrison said in his deposition, page 82 of the transcript from Mr. Morrison. Mr. Morrison said this, I had concerns about Lieutenant Colonel Vinsman's judgment. Among the discussions I had with Dr. Hill in the transition was our team, its strength, its weaknesses, and Fiona and others had raised concerns about Alex's judgment. When Mr. Morris was asked by Mr. Castor, did anyone ever bring concerns to you that they believe Colonel Vinman may have leaked something, Mr. Morrison replied, yes. So your boss had concerns about your judgment. Your former boss, Dr. Hill, had concerns about your judgment. Your colleagues had concerns about your judgment. And your colleagues felt that there were times when you leaked information. Any idea why they have those impressions, Colonel Vinman? Uh, yes, Representative Jordan. I guess uh, I'll start by uh, reading um, Dr. Hill's own words as she she attested to in my last evaluation that was dated middle of July, right before she left. Alex is a top 1% military officer and the best army officer I've worked with in my 15 years of government service. So, yeah, she needs to get fired, too. Um, he pulled out his, like, you know, uh, employee record documentation to prove this. It's 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 a joke. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about cloning. We're going to talk about Epstein and we're going to talk about Schiff. And you'll be like, Tori, those are like three different topics. Watch. They all work together and you'll understand what I mean by it. Um, because Schiff right now has gone, you know, full blown, you know, just insanely going. We need to impeach him because he's going to win again. And guess what? We might even vote to allow him to go for a third term too. Because we don't trust that there's anyone out there to take his place. But what I want to say is this term, this run, he needs to change the running mate and they're stalling that. And that's really annoying too. I'm going to leave it at that while we break and we'll get back to that. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I don't know who's still listening because apparently my um, feed has been um, going over another one. It's um, uh, pretty huge. Uh, uh, what I was telling you was insane. Uh, it's it's pretty crazy. I have recorded on my end the first half uh, the first half hour of this because it was pretty big because I was leading up to where I was going with it, basically. So where I was going with all of this was something was happening in the Ukraine. 
You need to read my article on Lumerd. Um, I, I sent it around because what is happening is that they walked right into the trap. And I told you that 16.5 million is what the cut was that Biden got on my ToriSays.com article called Quid Pro Joe, right? Where I talked about it. I also told you that extraditions are happening. What if I told you that it was closer to almost eight billion dollars of investments, money laundering through Bogdan Motors. See, nobody knows the Ukraine. There's so many people talking about, oh, I know who the whistleblower is. And, oh, this is what's happening. You only know the top part because your sources should not be the corrupt individuals themselves. Your sources, this is how you get the correct assets. And I'm not trying to say, well, I know better. I, when I'm looking at a story, I don't look at it as a story. I look at it as, okay, who would be the target to go to to get the right information? I'm not going to go to another reporter or, you know, I'd be the, I'd be, look, if I was on the beat, I'm just telling you, I'm usually the person that would not go to the witnesses or the store owner after shootout. I'd be the one in the alley talking to the hookers, right? That's where you get the real stuff. Now, I didn't go to hookers in the Ukraine, but I, I told you this is an immense amount of money. I kind of dropped it a little bit telling you 16.5 million on Joe Biden, uh, you know, kind of building it up. I dropped the article talking about Bogdan Motors, which is massive. The fact that all of them, I hit it in my article, all of the members, all of them from the Ukrainian bank were taken into custody, except for one that was kidnapped, and I think the government re-kidnapped him. So what we're going to see is this week, it's going to be insane. It'll be headlines tomorrow or Friday, I'm saying. Tomorrow or Friday, it'll be headlines. That the money is in the billions, Right. I, I'm telling you, it's close to eight billion dollars and you watch it come out. It's like seven point seven. Well, I would say it's probably more. This is what we know. Um, so uh, let's go ballpark figure seven point five billion. Right. Let's just do that. And you're going to see that the Ukrainians are now going to be like, all right, we're done. We're in. Let's do this. We've been taken advantage of. We need to fix this. But on the other hand, remember, Zelensky is owned by the globalists of the EU. Mm. He's owned. But on the other hand, he's in a catch-22 because now he's got no money coming in for these nuclear programs that we were funding through laundering money, through other things, and with all these weapons and whatnot. And you know what? These idiots, these Democrats walked right into the trap. But then you'll be like, well, Tory, they knew that they were going to get caught. That's a lot of money. We're talking billions of dollars, billions of U.S. dollars. Hence why we were withholding the aid. Okay. The aid isn't like, oh, here's a tank. The aid is like, here's money. Go buy a tank. The aid is here's money. Go buy stuff. Why do you think I hold on? Think about it this way. USAID gives money to the Ukraine, but they only buy pillows and blankets. Like, come on, you give me millions of dollars of USAID, which, by the way, I told you we can't balance the books with the Treasury. Remember that. Remember that. Um, so you're just buying pillows and blankets. Guys, you give me a million dollars. I mean, how many pillows and blankets can I buy? You know, if I'm actually quite thrifty. I can buy the same amount of pillow and blankets that you would expect me to spend with a million dollars with about 10,000. 
if I'm thrifty. Do you see where I'm going with this? All right. And then you pocket the rest. It's kind of like I was, I was speaking with my child and she was like, you know, if I get orders to go here, whatever, you know, they'll, they'll give me a set amount of money and, you know, so people could just pack my stuff and move and whatnot, blah, 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 blah. And I was, and she was like, you know, apparently, you know, my bosses say that if, you know, they give me like 5,000 for whatever, um, and it only costs me 2,000, I get to keep the rest, which is pretty cool. And I was thinking, Hey, this is where it applies. I give them a million. They buy pillows and blankets. You keep the rest. You get what I'm saying, but you give me invoices that say something else. Now, I'm going to be breaking that story. I'm going to be telling you how this is going down. I'm the one that has been trying to guide you and not interrupt the swamp from pulling their own pants down so that way you can actually see and compare. And unfortunately... Uh, you know, when you go to school for journalism, right? And, and, and when you're in this kind of environment, this bubble, because I'm not your traditional investigative journalist, but I've got the train, the same training those clowns have. And it, the thing is, when you look at things differently, you can garner information differently and you can make different observations. And my different observations were everyone's going to the wrong place. We need to be paying attention. When I'm telling you this is billions, this is going to be announced and it annihilates everything. How would you feel to know that there's like corruption in the billions that were, you know, the money they took from you when you worked really, really hard? You could have kept that tax dollar to buy that extra My Little Pony for your kid or the Barbie, but instead Obama gave it to the Ukrainians who then bought stuff with it and then gave him a kickback. Not him specifically, I'm just saying. And think of that billions of times more. Billions. Like almost 8 billion. (laughs) It's going to be a lot of fun soon, guys. I am telling you, it is going to be the way it goes. And, you know, I have to say that... Dirkash, who I've been speaking to, which is one of their, you know, one of their peeps, one of their ministers there, you know, that, mm, um, he's actually one of the only people that, <laughs> that is really trying to help the Ukraine become independent, but can't. So what is the real big problem, right? That we're seeing. What is the massive issue that we are seeing? Hmm. What's the big problem? Oh, I'll tell you what the problem is that they are now for self-preservation. See the Democrats could get away with all this billions of dollars that we spent your tax dollars. Well, you don't know. Shut up. Let me explain. This was necessary. See the, my son was serving on this gas company because he knew how to do things and knew how to do this, that, the other, right? I'm just saying, And like I've said many times, you who listens to me, I listen to you. I got everything, everything. And not only from my end, because, you know, obviously if I'm listening to you and your friends know that I'm listening to you, you're going to make sure you I can't listen to you. But remember something that I told you. Remember what Brennan said when he whistled out, oh, they're talking in restaurants when the Russians are, you know, listening in, you know, that's sounding off to his people. Get the stuff Russia is handing over to the Trump administration from wiretapping these people. Get it. Get it. Don't let him get it. But we already had it. (laughs) It's like you walked right into the trap, dude. And here's what the trap is. We've got the spotlight on them. We don't care. We can fix this corruption. We can fix it because we are in the position of power. They no longer are. 
The self-preservation comes from what is going to come out. You think a Democrat really gives two fiddlesticks about eight billion tax dollars? They don't care. Half of them don't even pay taxes. Do you think that the mainstream media is going to make it look as if this is how it's being done? No. So what do we do? One thing liberals, no matter how insane they are, is to accept rape, death, especially when it comes to children. Okay? They all freaked out with Ed Buck. They all freaked out with Jeffrey Epstein. They're all really pissed off about what is going on with Bill Clinton. Now, everyone's seen the rumors about, oh, he went to the house of Ed Buck dressed up in like Egyptian garb and, you know, he, he you know, looking almost sacrificial. Let me tell you something about Adam Schiff because I have a lot on Adam Schiff. He loves to play dress up. Even his own party that his right-hand woman, who's very confusing, is she chief of staff, is she campaign manager, is she his personal assistant, is she his girlfriend, is she his handler? Anyway, she sets up all these parties, and they're always themed. Always themed. They love playing dress-up. But the thing is, is he, okay, Ed Buck, right, 2017, this guy dies, the, 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 you know, escort guy, the first guy that died, he gets like, oh, no, it's not your fault. He just overdosed on meth and whatever. The family was up in arms like, what the heck? FBI was like, don't worry about it. We got this. We, we're going to reopen it. Don't worry about it. But nobody knew about it. So then comes along January of 2019 and another guy turns up dead and they're like, yo, so another one is dead and what's going on? And then, oh, it's nothing. You know, it was his friend and he didn't want his friend to come. And then the friend came and then he was acting bizarre. So he called the police. Friend was acting bizarre. So he called the police. <laughs> so at that point when that happened, it was dropped, right? That hints for me that suddenly... That 2017 investigation was actually reopened to the first death. It had reopened in 2017 and it was still being investigated, but nobody knew about it. So in 2019, I get with that they're in that, that investigation is now merging with this investigation, the 2019 death. And lo and behold, guys, June 1st, June 1st, Saturday, 2019, the FBI specific unit of the FBI uh, had a warrant signed by a judge in California to allow them to enter his house with a warrant, but without him being present, which is kind of like they're just going to see if something's there um, before going in. And that's something you do when something very dangerous is happening. Like when you move, like it's like a secret, secret warrant. So it's like the, the FBI does that stuff all the time. They enter hotel rooms and stuff like that. When you're traveling, they'll do that. Um, a lot of people don't know it, but I can tell you they do that. So, and they gather information just to keep, you know, sometimes, and they don't even charge you with it. So they actually entered Ed Buck's home and looked for something specific, whatever it was on the warrant. Cause I'm not privy to that. And what they gathered was they imaged all the devices that were there. Some phones, hard drives, computers. <laughs> Are you getting it? CCTV footage. You getting it? So everything was imaged and they left. And obviously he wasn't charged with anything. But here's the thing. 
a former FBI guy that actually works um, for a uh, you know an investment bank that's very good friends with Adam Schiff in California calls Adam on Sunday and says, "Yo, I just found out from my buddies at the FBI." Uh, from my buddies at the FBI that a judge signed a warrant on Ed Buck. You give him a heads up. Ed Buck is like, yo, I didn't get any, you know, investigation or whatnot. So they're probably talking. Schiff finds out it was a secret warrant. <laughs> and then, you know, Ed Buck realizes people came to his house, didn't really take anything, which means they took everything. You know what I'm saying? And so what happens is Adam Schiff turns up to D.C. and tells all his, you know, staffers, you better find everything you can find on deep fake. I need experts. I want all of them. And you need to dig. You need to find out any dirt these experts on deep fake have. I want to know everything, every skeleton that can be there, everything that may look like a skeleton that we can use against them and it's like why would you want to get leverage on your expert about deep fakes oh that's right so you can make them say what you want but the thing is Schiff are you really ready to go against the FBI because that's the thing turns out there's some video footage floating around in the FBI that was taken at the Standard Hotel. People like Bob Corker, little Bob Corker, and Adam Schiff, and Ed Buck, and a lot of other people. And one of them actually has Epstein in the mix. So this is what I heard. So I'm just telling you, this is really exciting. So the problem that they're having now is not so much the legal implications that they can find, like Pelosi's son going to jail, Joe Biden and his son going to jail, John Kerry going to jail. I mean, he could always ask for sanction, you know, for sanctuary in Iran. He's, he, he married off his daughter there, right? So maybe he can ask there. But, you know, Iran's on our side. They've been diffused. You just don't know it yet. Uh, maybe they'll all go to New Zealand. You know, I'm just saying. So it's, that's not what they're worried about. What they're worried about is this satanic, pedophilic, network to be exposed and not so much on the fact that they're sacrificing and drinking blood and raping and killing because then you know the liberals are so freaking loony they might even well that was their religious practice it was very wrong and they need to like put some song i could totally imagine that conversation the problem is going to be when they find out what they're doing with the human beings that they're trafficking. And now I've said it before. Yes, this nefarious network exists. This is a war between good and evil. But during this war between good and evil, they are trying to utilize the technology they have to make things easier for them. And so I've told you, not made it a secret at all. I've worked with the father of cloning. Okay, the father of cloning. This is a video from like 2003. I want you to take a listen to this. In a small private clinic in Kentucky, this fertility specialist is planning to make medical history. He intends to clone a human baby within the next two years. Uh, there's no doubt in, uh, in my mind that this can be done, and it will be done. I, I think it's an inevitable development. Um, I keep saying and using the term, the genie is out of a bottle. I have been told that I only have less than 1% chance to have a child of my own. He's had hundreds of emails from couples desperate to have a child that's biologically theirs. The technology, I mean, they saved my life when I was 16 years of age. I don't see any reason why technology can't help me to have a child. I think that cloning at this point would be um, a good option because it would actually be uh, one of us. 
The concept of cloning is simple, taking the nucleus, the DNA, out of a donor egg and replacing it with new DNA from the person to be cloned. After a few days, the resulting embryo can then be implanted for pregnancy. It's worked before with animals. Only last year, the first monkey was cloned. But critics warn the technology is too crude for humans, and the practice is ethically unsound. I mean, this, to me, actually sounds like something out of Nazi Germany. Uh, aren't there some ethical issues associated with that? Aren't there some moral issues? I think it's grisly. I think it should be outlawed. The choices that the world has today are such that we that develop it in a responsible fashion, under the guidance of the world and under the, the observance and the microscopes of the world, rather than somebody developing it, developing it in their clandestine um, laboratories. In most of America, cloning hasn't been outlawed, but public hostility is such the professor is looking elsewhere. By next year, there could be a clinic where the first cloned babies will be born. In the next few weeks, Dr. Zavos will be flying to the Mediterranean, where he'll be scouting out possible locations. Philippa Thomas, BBC News, in Lexington, Kentucky. All right, so I, I told you I studied under him, and I learned that technique. It's, it's, it's fascinating, and I want to play the clip from 2009 in Kentucky. This is right before they kicked him out of the university because he actually cloned the first human being. Now, this was secret. Everybody knew, but they were shining the spotlight on him, um, him and his Italian partner. His Italian partner is what you would call the guy that does the covert stuff, and I will explain this to you so you understand where I'm going with it. A resident-based doctor is working on a groundbreaking procedure to clone a human. Dr. Panos Zavos says he's one step away from making a clone of another person. Our Dave Spencer takes a look at what this means for the future of medicine in today's top story. It may sound like science fiction. This is history in the making. But for the past six or seven years, cloning a human being has been a life ambition for Dr. Panos Zavos. That's what keeps me alive, is that I'm doing fascinating things. Dr. Zavo says he's doing this for a very specific purpose. For people that don't have eggs and sperm and they don't want to borrow their neighbor's sperm or eggs, we, I think that the, the, the cloning uh, modality is a viable issue and a viable choice for them. He calls the process reprogramming. What we do is that we take a cell from you, from the person that we want to create, we take the eggs from the woman, we remove the DNA and we pull the whole DNA molecule that we get from the man or the woman that we want to procreate. Saying it's quite similar to reproduction the natural way with a slight twist. Body cells, not sexual cells, the egg or the sperm. A process he's done already in 11 separate embryos. None, however, have produced the desired effect. The chapter that we want to write is to continue transferring until we get a pregnancy. But that's not to say he won't be able to describe what a finished product or success story would look like. This will be a lateral or a lateral-born twin. Critics, and there are more than a few, argue the potential for abuse is there. Dr. Zavo says any new technology can be abused, and this one is in need of strong regulation. But he says he'll just concentrate on the science end. I'm interested in treating infertility. That's it. No more, no less. In Just so you know, he has the Andrology uh, uh, Institute of America. It's in Lexington, Kentucky. He can get people that are 60 pregnant. Anybody who wants to get pregnant goes to him.
A hundred percent. So if any of you know anyone that's struggling with infertility, have them take their bags and move to Kentucky so they can get residency for six months and then go and see him with whatever insurance they have. He will get them pregnant. He could get anybody pregnant. He is a genius in regards to um, uh, recreating uh, the right uh, ways for people to have babies. Now, one will say, if you're not supposed to have one, maybe you shouldn't be doing that. Mm, yes. But here's something about cloning that you need to understand, and we'll talk about this at another date when it's more pertinent and when things start to come out. In your DNA, your lifespan is literally depicted on your genomes. So there's something called telomeres. And I, I think a lot of you, you know, I saw um, once, oh, it could be maybe a couple of years ago, Alex Jones selling stuff like for telomeres and whatnot. So you guys can understand, picture it like an end cap to your DNA. That's how I want you to picture it, like an end cap to your DNA. So that end cap, it, the, the longer it is, the longer you live because it's like a stop. Okay, don't unravel so you don't fall apart kind of thing. You see what I'm saying? So when you take, say I want to clone, you want a baby or whatever, you just want to clone, right? And I take your hair cell, your skin cell, your heart cell, whatever cell I want. And I take that and I extract the DNA and you're what, 30, 40 years old? I'm going to take that and I'm going to put it in a naked cell with no DNA, jolt it with electricity, that's how it happens, and create, uh, uh, you know, life with your DNA, a lateral twin, like he said. It would be another version of you that could have happened in your mother's womb. These clones do not have, well, we don't know because this clone right now, the first human clone that um, is about, uh, you know, school age. Now, we don't know their life expectancy, but basing on the fact that you take the telomeres that have already shortened, you know, as a sample, that life expectancy will be whatever is left. So you would average that if someone, uh, you know, uh, has their DNA procured at the age of 30, um, let's pretend Hillary Clinton wanted to live forever. Let's pretend. Or George Soros or any of them. What they would do is, uh, when this technology was first made available in uh, the early 90s, they would at that point, at the age of like 30, 40, extract this DNA and then have uh, the um, clone develop. With the sense that the telomeres are shorter, the clones develop a little bit faster in regards to the aging process because the DNA that was used was already with a shortened telomere, therefore it plays catch up. So then you can have a clone to harvest things you need or to replace yourself so you can keep going and going and going. Per se, if you would be able to travel, transfer consciousness, which we see that surgery was done. When was that surgery done, you guys? A while back, right? Where they cut a hole um, to the to the skull and they cut out and then they like totally replace the re- neuronal. It's something like that you would watch a movie about. Now, why I'm saying this is because what people don't seem to remember is that the studies that people like Epstein, Harvard, MIT, the Clinton Foundation, the Oprah Foundation, Obama Foundation, all these foundations have been dumping money into creating alternative methods of downloading your brain and transferring AI that they've been experimenting and committing crimes against humanity. In Africa, specifically Ethiopia, 
I'm, I'm pointing it out to Ethiopia because they have a very highly specific mitochondrial DNA, which is the battery of the cell. And I'm saying this, you know, it sounds so sci-fi, but it's a hundred percent true. Uh, videos are out there. You can watch them. Now, how does this tie into Schiff and them? We'll wait till you see what actually comes to fruition. And hopefully we will be allowed to see it because sometimes, you know, everybody wants to know the truth, but do you really want to know the truth? I mean, you, you wouldn't be able to sleep at night. You know, a lot of people ask me, do you ever sleep? (laughs) And I'm really trying this nap thing. But when you know things or it's kind of like PTSD, that's the way it would be because you wouldn't be able to sleep because even the concept of the fact that someone can keep replicating themselves and maybe harvesting something or doing anything is beyond you because it sounds evil. And that's the thing. How do you identify evil and how do you fix evil? Can you fix evil? You can't eradicate it, right? And this is probably why they're desensitizing us from our basic human qualities of unity, humanity, and turning these liberals into legit sociopaths. God bless from all of us here at Red State. I'll see you tomorrow.